0: Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud busting body language expert. I have spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. In this episode, we're talking to Jackie James. She is a certified fraud examiner and has this fraud prevention process, four steps that's unique to her. And you're really going to like the part about interviewing for integrity. Before you make the hire, you can know if people are going to steal from you or not. Keep listening. Hi, it's Tracy. Just a quick thought. What would you do with $4? With that same money, a hacker can buy all of your info. I mean, social security number, credit card numbers, passwords, health insurance info, and yes, even your kids information. Now I've searched around on the dark web and it's a good bet your info is out there for sale waiting to be used. If you're lucky, it'll just be a few charges to your credit card, but smart hackers are tapping into your credit to buy TVs, cars, houses, use your medical insurance, and even take over your banking and investment accounts, effectively kicking you out of your own accounts. You're the one that's going to be stuck with this big problem, have mystery bills due, and need to get your money back while repairing your good credit. Now the folks at ID Shield know this and have the solution. I've teamed up with them on their ID theft insurance. It's comprehensive, it's inexpensive, and it will let you rest easy. They will replace any money you lost, give you access to their team of licensed private investigators to do whatever it takes to repair your credit score. Yep, they'll do the heavy lifting and spend all the hours on the phone and the time it takes to restore your online reputation to pre-breach levels. You, your money, and your reputation are worth more than four dollars. Treat yourself like it. Go to fraud-busting.com slash ID Shield to learn more and get covered today. It's fraud-busting.com slash ID Shield. We'll see you on the protected side when you get there. Jackie, thanks for coming on fraud busting. Let me just tell everyone a little bit about you. You're the president and founder of ARA fraud, and forensic services, and you do investigative forensic accounting, uh, specializing in fraud, risk management, uh, investigations, and uh, tracing assets for civil litigation. Oh, I bet that's interesting. Um, Let's see, you're a certified fraud examiner, 25 plus years, and uh, done all sorts of investigations, uh, helped uh, prosecute Complex multi-million-dollar employee fraud cases, and she's frequently called upon to serve as an expert witness for civil cases involving divorce, shareholder disputes, and estate litigations. I would not want to be on the other side of you in a court case. So, thank you so much for joining me
1: today. Well, thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, will, yeah, It'll be fun. Oh yeah. So let's let's let everybody get to know you a little bit. Um,
1: we're all uh quarantined. you're not gonna you're not gonna ask me if i if i'm still in my pjs are you i am it's
0: right on my I list somebody it's right, else it's right here <laughs> 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 let's let's do this a little bit differently um what's the latest time that you spent in your pjs like like the latest time during oh. the day that you got actually really quote dressed
1: well, does it count if you're in the PJs and decide to go shower and then put comfy clothes back on? So I it's um, kind of continuous. I mean, I took spent a shower. A full day. So <laughs> yeah, you know, always got a shower. But uh, no, I, I, you know, I'd say probably late afternoon. Okay, all right, that's good. So, but that's not the norm. Thank God.
0: Okay, what's your weirdest thing you've eaten on quarantine? Did you have ever like a bunch of leftovers
1: you just patched together? Uh, now, see, Trace, that's where, you know, I am such a, have such a small food box, you uh-huh. know, uh, I, I don't eat weird things. Uh-huh. So I don't know that I'd be able to give you a good answer on that one.
0: Well, you know what, what we did at the house the other night? We had, I called it international night because we had leftovers from, we had some uh, chips and queso leftover, and then we had some Italian leftover, and then I found some, somehow we had Asian vegetables. And so I told my husband, I said, it's, it's international night and (laughs) you can just enjoy like of whatever. So I think he had it all. So that was, that was pretty fun. Um, let's see, what's your philosophy of life? You got words to live by.
1: You know, I've learned as I've gotten older to not sweat the small things that we can't control and to live in a present moment. Uh Uh-huh. Um. You know, the last, uh, I don't know, I'd say five plus years, you know, you, you hit 40, I hit 45 and something, a light bulb switched. And I realized all the things I stressed about in my younger years uh-huh. that I learned I had no control over, I just learned to let go of. And when I learned to get out of my own way, life became a lot simpler. Oh, okay. I love that.
0: So I love that. So I guess okay. get out of
1: your own way and. Live in a present moment would be what I would suggest.
0: All right. Now, what's the
1: one thing people don't know about you? Oh, well, nobody on here, I would imagine, knows anything about me, so I guess... Well,
0: they they probably don't, so you can answer that anyway. You could make up stuff.
1: (laughs) I can't do that. I'm a fraud investigator, right? Right, right. Yeah, don't do that. Don't lie. Um, I'll catch you in your lie. You know, um, years ago, I was a beach cop. Really? So I was a police officer down in Florida Oh, what was not, the- who's a police officer. Now in St. Louis tells me I was, I was not a real police officer because I worked on a beach. I just oh. say that we're jealous.
0: Oh, <laughs> now what's the craziest thing you ever had happen on your beach? Um, beat. I bet you saw a lot
1: of stuff. I did see a lot of stuff. Um, the, uh, you know, I mean a lot of what we dealt with out there was drugs, domestics and, um, assaults, unfortunately, uh-huh. uh, you know, a story that was kind of fun. We actually had a, um, uh, a case where we had some theft and we identified the suspects and they were carrying around gold Krugerrands. What is that? It is a, um, a, a form of currency down in Africa, Oh. but it's not very common in the United States. Uh-huh. And they had stole those from, uh, one of the residents that was out um, that they had hit and burglarized the house.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That was kind of neat because we were able to track them down and utilizing some different investigative techniques and we were able to apprehend them. But the neat thing was, and this is when I was a rookie, we were able to that made the paper. So it was kind of cool. Oh, okay.
0: Was it like So flirting, that was a big deal or? just
1: for, for the fact that these guys were carrying around gold c- cougar ants. Now how um, much was it worth? Oh man, I don't even know. At that point, I was. uh, They had I want to say over a hundred. So I'm not sure what the I don't recall what the value was. That's probably close to 25 years ago. Okay, well that's a lot of coins. Was it coins? Yeah, it's it literally is. They're they're gold. Uh huh. Some form of currency from uh, I believe South Africa. Oh. Okay. Well, we got to look that up and find out more about that now. That was I hear, interesting.
0: I hear new stuff every day on this podcast. So um, you are right up there at the top of things that I just never <laughs> never thought about. So,
1: well, we all have unique experiences, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about what do you do all day? Tell, tell me, like, how's a day? I'm sure no day is the same, but generally what goes on? And then you've been involved in some pretty interesting cases. I want to dive into some of those.
1: Yeah, so you know, most of my day consists of either dealing with you know clients or doing a lot of analysis. So a lot of my time is spent, quite frankly, in front of the computer, uh-huh. of, uh, doing a lot of litigation support. So my fraud cases make up a little bit more than maybe thirty percent, and then my litigation cases make up the rest of my work. So I spend a lot of time doing litigation, mm-hmm. uh, type litigations. So you know, a lot of it's either on a phone or in a computer on, you know, dealing with clients or on a computer. Doing uh-huh.
0: my- so, so you're, you're trying to find where money's coming from, where it's going. Like, let's talk about like the things that you typically look for, how you look for them and then what, what people can learn so that they don't get into trouble with um, whatever they're doing every
1: day. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Give you an example. So I do, uh, as you mentioned in an intro, I do some, a lot of divorce work. Um, and obviously, in divorce work, it seems like whenever one spouse is thinking of filing divorce, um, all of a sudden, right before that divorce is filed, we have what we kind of coin a term in St. Louis's IDS, Income Deficiency Syndrome. Right. Oh. <laughs> okay, all right. They they know that you know they're getting ready to go through divorce. They don't want their other half to start claiming some half of the assets or uh-huh. the. F- share of the assets. So all of a sudden they start hiding the money. So I then am called in to, to do a lot of that tracing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's fun. You know, it's people always ask, ask me if I like puzzles. If I were to sit there and put a, you know, 500 piece puzzle together, it doesn't interest me. But things like this is, is, is extremely fascinating to me because I'm able to go through and start identifying behavioral trends. Okay. Try to look at what somebody is thinking in their mind when they're doing these things. So a little bit like you look at the body language and the like psychology yeah. behind why people act the way they do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Employ those techniques when I'm looking at data to try to figure out what what did this person do? Why did they do what they did? To help me to understand some of the other areas that, that I need to look at. Oh wow! So what do you tend to glean? Do you see patterns? I do, yeah, and that's what I'm looking for. So a lot of the analysis, when I start going through bank statements, credit card statements, um, looking at different types of assets and just starting to kind of follow the money trail, you know, I'm looking for commonalities in, um, you know, transactions that are going through, you know, um, it was interesting. I was just having this conversation with a a colleague the other day who um, uh, was talking about, and she's more of a research scientist, And we both were talking about, we're both into patterns and behavior.
0: Uh
1: And, you know, as we're looking at tracing the funds, if, you know, somebody you would think would be consistent with, if they're going to transfer, let's say $5,000, but they don't want that to be an even number that's going to be easily caught, they might transfer Uh $4,995.50 or 95 cents. Usually there's a pattern at the the end of that, that dollar amount, so it's not whole. But one of the things that we start looking at is people that tend to be more scientific, people that tend to be more research oriented um, or extremely logical or people that are really good at hiding things. What they might do is they might actually start trying to create random generated numbers so you can't find a pattern. But even with that, you can start to see a pattern over a period of time when you get all the data together. It's really neat. Oh so I just wow. I'm okay. looking for those patterns I'm looking for the flow of funds to go from different accounts and to start helping to unwind kind of what a lot of people end up by the time I get the case you've got a lot of financial data that's just been all commingled or kind of crazy and money's going everywhere so I have to paint that picture and tell that story
0: Oh wow so um I could never do that <laughs> I, I would not have the patience. The world needs people like you. So you're onto people's patterns. Let's talk about some of the cases that you've worked on and you gave me a list of them here. So I just a um, few, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you said you provided expert witness testimony in a civil fraud case uh, that led to your client being awarded a one point six million dollar judgment, what are the details on that? That is fascinating.
1: This was actually a really fun case, and I thought it 'd be a good one to kind of talk about today. I was initially brought on as a as a forensic accounting expert on the civil matter um, this started back in two thousand and fifteen, so this case went on for about three and a half years okay almost four years. The defendant in that case was a property managed mint type person who was hired by my client to source properties and to um, manage the properties, collect rents. And my client had quite a few properties. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is the property manager took all the rents and put them into his business entity's account. Okay. He also put money into my client's account and he started commingling all the funds. So initially I was brought on board to come and determine damages of what money was owed to my client based on that commingling. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is as that case progressed, I identified the defendant's um, deceased father uh, he had passed in 2015 had the same identical name as him with the exception of the middle initial. Uh-huh. So I kept assets hid in dad's name. Although dad was no longer, he was either severely um, incapacitated because of dementia, uh-huh. you know, prior death or had died. But yet there are all these assets in the father's name. Couldn't figure out why. And then all of a sudden, what I realized is he, when he filed bankruptcy, he committed bankruptcy fraud. Oh. So we're able to identify bankruptcy fraud fraud through that case. Um, and we're able to show where he was hiding assets through his dad's name under a different um, entity. And then a few other entities that he popped up in and tried to even convey some assets under my client to hide them to prevent the bankruptcy trustee from the Cisneros assets. Um, we also then identified tax fraud. In addition to that, and identified that he was, uh, in essence, creating um, and he used his dad's social security number uh-huh. identity. So when you run, if you look at some of his assets, he actually provided, and this was interesting because not all, you know, not all the defendants when they provide discovery, he actually provided a copy of his credit report. Mm-hmm report had his dad's social on it, but his date of birth. And the only way that happens is if you commingle those, you use somebody else's identity. So we actually had him on identity fraud as well um, for using a deceased, even though it was a family member, deceased person's information. So it was turned out to be a really interesting case. Um, we went to a jury trial and um, initially what, what's Was really neat about this particular case is our attorney had asked for 1.2 million in punitive and compensatory damages Uh because we were able to go and articulate what a fraudster that this individual really was. They came back and awarded 1.6. Oh wow!
0: Now, uh, did your client actually see any of the money, or how did that shake out?
1: To be determined. So that case actually uh, got tried in June of last year, in 19, and then they just now had a, a they had a few other things that the defendant was filing a few motions on that they had to hear. So they just got it settled. Um, I want to say the final verdict came down last month. Uh-huh. Um, so now my client is working on enforcing that judgment to go after what he can. So Wow. Yeah, that's the hard well, part. Whether he collects all 1.6 will be too determined. But, you know, I mean, more than likely they don't ever get everything. But I think he has a good chance of getting something back.
0: Oh yeah. Well, apartment management—that's that's big business. You don't—it's—it's it's pretty transparent. But uh, you know, I, I speak in apartment associations and management companies quite a bit, and there is a lot of money to be had. Well, there's a lot of fraud there too. Uh-huh. So. Oh well,
1: what other kind of fraud are you seeing in apartments? Uh, my clients want well, to- actually, one one of the cases that I had uh, had sent over to you, there was a condo association. Oh, yeah.
0: I see that one on the list. Yeah. Tell, tell us yeah. about that. So so $300,000 embezzlement case by a property manager of a condo association. So let's, what do you know? So,
1: yeah, this this particular individual had managed a condo association for almost 20 years. Um, and the board was handpicked. She handpicked the board. So they didn't ever question or ask to see actual financials out of QuickBooks or out of any of the accounting software. Uh-huh. They board president came in and she refused to turn over any financial information. Um, There's a red flag. What's that? That's a red flag right there. That's a huge red flag. Absolutely. Um, Would provide Excel spreadsheets when they ask for information. That's something else I always tell people, you know, you want to see the original source document, not an Excel uh, document that anybody can put numbers on. Mm -hmm. What was a what was really interesting with this particular case is, after it was identified that they had suspected she was stealing it, I was brought in to do the investigation. And we started finding, um, and the office was chaotic, uh-huh. right? Talk about another red flag, clutter everywhere. Oh. Uh, sticky notes all over the place. So I just started collecting evidence and data. And we identified that her brother was also working part-time there as a maintenance person. Uh-huh. He was um, Hired in January, Um, And this was all back in 2010 when we started looking at some of this data. Um, Shortly after that, he then filed for unemployment after getting, you know, supposedly working for the condo association for, uh, for two weeks. But yet he was still receiving a paycheck from the condo association. So I found sticky notes that would say, you know, he would leave for his sister to say, hey, put me in for these weeks, but not the other weeks. I don't want to leave a paper trail. Oh, well, (laughs) there you go. You left the paper trail. Don't write that down. So so not only was he collecting unemployment fraud, he also had a business on his side doing maintenance. So he submitted invoices to the condo association for the work that he was being paid to do as an employee. Oh, double dipping. dipping. And then it gets better. He then was also receiving check payments that were made out in other people's names to include his brother and sister-in-law, who were both police officers, for monitoring poll activity. Uh So his his sister would make these check payments out. The brother would take them, endorse them, forge the signatures, endorse them into his bank account. And um, so he was triple dipping. And the sad part about this whole case was he was actually a reserve police officer. Really? Wow. So, um, so that was the brother, but then the property manager's sister was, you know, in addition to helping him commit the fraud, she was also using company credit cards to go and purchase and remodel her home, her condo, um, on the condo association's fees. And uh, was also writing checks to herself and paying her own bills. So it was, Uh it was quite complex. And that was the 300,000 was what we were able to prove. We didn't go after the other 700 and some thousand that she paid her boyfriend between 1993 to 2000 for snow removal. And I'm sure if I went and did some research as far as the, the amount of snow that Missouri had during that time, I'm sure it wasn't that much. Right, oh my gosh. So, so. Um, wow. Okay, so we, we've, t- we've
0: gone over a few points. Let's, let, and these stories are fascinating and I don't wanna just say wow and then keep going. So let's, let's talk about what can people learn from these cause cause you're seeing patterns of, of behavior. Like what are some of the red flags that business owners can look for so that, you know, by the time they have to call someone like you, the losses are less, or maybe they don't, uh, Rig. they can catch it first so they don't need to call you at all. Like what are, what are the patterns that you're seeing?
1: You know, it, it, some of the basic patterns that I've heard others on your, on your podcast discuss, I mean, they all hold true, you know, mm. um, Someone that refuses to take vacation, somebody that you know is um, has a disorganized, chaotic environment, um, somebody that refuses to turn information over when asked. Um, those are that's definitely a red flag. But if I can kind of take it a little different direction, I mean yeah. a red. Flag or someone, I think people know what the red flags are. The problem is they choose to ignore them. Oh, right. right. Mm-hmm. The emotional element of this person's been with me for a long time. She's the godmother to my son, been over to my house for Christmas dinner. I can't tell you how many times I talk my clients. Yeah, I use the term off a ledge a little bit. I have to pull them back emotionally because they're so emotionally invested in this person. They would never think that they would ever steal. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, and, you know, the studies show that the person who is the most trusted is the one that is usually embezzling from you. So, you know, one of the things that I always try to educate business owners on, if I can kind of talk a little bit about instead of just the red flags, things that can help them companies to prevent, yes. you know, and if you ask it, and this is where I always give my CPA friends a hard time. I said, hey, if you go and say, hey, how do you prevent fraud? You know, the first answer they come out of their mouth is usually internal controls.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I'm like, okay, that's great. But that's the third step in a, in a, in a really a four-step process. Okay. You know, so one of the things that I've identified in my career that, you know, and I've taken a different approach. Um, I like to think out of the box, you know, so you have to hire the first step to any type of fraud prevention is hiring an ethical employee. Right. Before you ever hire. The problem is, is people don't interview for ethics or integrity. They interview for likability. The interview for cultural fit, maybe, you know, or if this person has a skill set. So some of the things that I teach companies to do is how to ask questions, interview questions, and read body language um, to be able to just tell if somebody is being deceptive. Because if you've got somebody in an interview that's not being truthful, then when you get them in, you're already halfway there.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So 40% of people lie in an interview or on their resume, like in a material way, way, like something that's important. And that's a study from the Society of Human Resources Management. So what are some of your questions that are interview integrity or um, just integrity based questions for the interview?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I actually have a whole script. I just did this for a client last week. They were trying to hire an HR director. So it's interviewing their HR Candidates, and I literally go through, and it's not just a question, it's almost how you set the stage. You know, call it a qualifier. You know, I mean, I've been doing interviews for 25 years, that's what I one of my passions. I love to interact and figure out, you know, if people are being truthful, and and if not, identifying the red flags, you know, when to peel back the layer of the onion. Yeah, so with anything. You have to kind of lead them a little bit and let them think here's why it's important for them to tell you the truth. So some of the things that I before I make a a, a, What we call an assumptive type question. All right. Ask an assumptive type question. I might make a a, You know qualifying statement. So for example, um, did you know the Social Security Administration maintains a list of every employer who's ever contributed to your uh, Social Security over the years, including those that you've only worked a day for. If I'm looking at your resume. How many other Employers will show up on that report in the last ten years. You know, that's a simple question that anybody can ask. Not really, it's integrity related, maybe, maybe not. But it helps them to identify who are the other employers so that they can at least have additional information to use references. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing I might say is, hey, did you realize that? You know, anytime people work around money or merchandise. You know, a lot of people are tempted to to help themselves because there might be a financial pressure or perceived need. And quite frankly, the fact of the matter is majority of people have taken something at one point in time in their work history. What would you say would be the largest amount of money or merchandise you've taken? If they pause and say, was it more than $1,000? No, not that much. Okay, great. How much was it? Now I just get an admission in a pre-employment interview setting. Oh, damn. <laughs> that's of- good. I mean, that, that's, that's text, the textbook way to do it. I like, Keep talking. This is, this is good. So, you know, I try to, I'm a big believer in, you know, getting people and teaching the business owners, you've got to ask in an, an interview for ethics, mm-hmm. so helping them to understand how to do that. Um, in addition to being able to read the body language so they know when there's some signs of stress that they have to continue to dive deep, mm-hmm. but you got to hire an ethical employee. So that's the first line of defense. Got it. Second is having a strong company culture, right? Uh-huh. Because I live in a land of, of trying to be in what some, in somebody's head, quite frankly. Why did they do what they did? Uh-huh. The, the facts tell me what they did, but I don't understand why they did what they did. So if you have a strong company culture, people are going to have a harder time rationalizing, stealing from their employer that they absolutely love to work for. Mm-hmm. And most companies don't assess for culture or don't think about culture. Some do, and some do a really nice job, and I'm saying, great, you guys will never need me, and I'm, and I'm happy for that. Uh-huh. You know, but and then the third level would be the internal controls, right? Mm-hmm. Got to have some checks and balances. And then that fourth leg of that pillar is really doing fraud risk audit to make sure that everything is, the other three steps are working in, in, in conjunction the way they should. And if you identify fraud, then it turns into an investigation. So I kind of take a four-step, that four-step approach to helping companies to mitigate fraud before they have a situation. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I always tell people, I'd much rather you not need me. There's plenty of work out there. Trust me. I mean, people will find me people. There's enough of us out there and enough work for everybody. But uh, unfortunately I would like to go sit on the beach and retire one day and drink fruity cocktails when, you know, all this unethical behavior goes away.
0: Yeah. Huh? Well, you know, we're going to see a rise of it here um, because of the situation uh, that I think is going to go on for a long time. So what other question, cause there's gonna be a lot of people out of work. What other questions, can can you, do you have a couple more you might want to share uh, that employers can ask on hiring or, um, or even, I don't know, maybe bringing people back that haven't been
1: around for a while? Sure. You know, one of the things that I teach, so with, with the interview questions and, you know, I always tell people you've got different types of formats and questions. You've got your behavioral base. Tell me about a time when you've got your, you know, standard, just question yes, no, or open-ended I like to ask assumptive based questioning i 'm not sure have you ever heard that before
0: well yeah there's there's presuppositions in in questions so I, um, which which I would ask because you know i 'm a, a hypnotist, and that 's how I got my start doing this so i'm well, okay. it's, it's a it's a different term same sounds like the same thing where you ask a question assuming a certain pretense like like exactly. that they' actually stolen before so so what are some of your favorites on that
1: so you know I like to go to um especially if you're talking about job performance or things of that nature you know uh can't tell you how many times people have left a job and they weren't um you know they, they indicated on their resume that they're they're rehirable or if you say is there anything that would come up when we do a reference check no not at all and then all of a sudden you start talking about well when was the last time you were terminated from an employer oh never okay well when was the last time you asked a few other questions down the road when was the last time um you ever had a situation with, a, with an employer, maybe a supervisor, and rather than cause a scene you just left, oh, well, this happened here, okay, you start asking questions. Well, how many times have you ever been given the option of resigning from a job in lieu of being terminated? Um, well, yeah, maybe once or twice. Okay, tell me about that, but they were never terminated, right? So you start right. to kind of peel that onion back. Um, you know, I ask a lot of questions, too, around integrity and ethics, you know, um, talk about business conflicts of interest. But I, I usually started in an assumptive way. When was the last time? How many times? And then I ask questions in that fashion because, quite frankly, an honest person is going to answer that very direct matter of fact. A dishonest person, we may hear pauses. We may hear paralinguistics. We may hear something that comes up that is causing a little stress reaction. And that's and those are the things that I'm looking for. Um, but, uh, I mean, I be happy to share my list of questions with you after the uh, video conference, if you'd like, just so you can take a look at it.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and maybe people listening want, want, would want to see it. So we'll, we'll tell them how they can get at least a little bit of it uh, here at the end. So, okay, let's talk about some of these other, uh, that was fantastic. I can tell you're a um, retired law enforcement. (laughs) Those are great questions. So, cause I, I went to a class on, um, one of my first law enforcement uh, deception detection classes was on pre-employment screening for mm-hmm. um, public service, so cops and firemen and um, things along those lines. And right. it's interesting about uh, how, how we learned all about like, the percentages of firemen that actually end up starting fires. Right, firemen Firemen don't go and steal from the scene, it turns out. Like, that would be easy to do, right? No, firemen like to start fires. So you have to watch and out. And go put them
1: out, so right? That,
0: yeah, policemen, it turns out, like to beat people up,
1: right? <laughs> and so, Unfortunately, yes, it's yeah. a sad in some cases.
0: Yeah, teachers, uh, the, the ones that have trouble, they're like child molesters, right? And so, right. so people tend to, get, tend to gravitate to the job where they can kind of run their pattern. And, and we learned about picking out deception in, in, in those um, areas and things like that. So yeah, employment is,
1: um, pre-employment screening, super important to pick up. Uh, well, it is. And unfortunately, most people don't ever have any type of formalized interview training that are, that are hiring these people.
0: Oh, so. yeah, because we, we pick people we want to hang out with. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. not only do people have their patterns, but the best companies are the ones that pick out people different than you. So you have the different point of view. And and here's the thing, it's not always the easiest person to work with, uh, but you're going to get a better result. A lot of times the studies show that you get a better result in the end, more profitability. So um, yeah, hiring so counterintuitive, it seems so. Uh, picking up deception in that uh, environment is just key. Because not only that, you know, you think it's, it's expensive to not have someone in a position. It is more expensive to have the wrong person in that position. Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: it's also harder to get rid of them.
0: Well, that's so. the thing. Firing is not easy either. Like it's, it is terrifying out there <laughs> to try to hire anybody. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about some of these other cases. Um, let's talk about the gift card case in 750,000 gift card scheme with by an hr manager at a long-term care facility what happened there
1: yeah so the uh, hr manager had been there started 2010 and in 2015-16 time frame my memory serves me correct um we were uh, uh, there was some red flag that had popped up with the controller or cfo he had identified that the statement amount Seemed a little off on a statement, so he's looking at the statement and realized that something wasn't right. Um, didn't pay much attention to it until the bank had called and said, "Hey, you're you still owe money on the credit card?" He says, "No, we don't. I'm looking at it. it, it we paid it." And so they sent him an, an actual statement and realized that the statement he had looked at versus the statement they had sent him were, were completely altered. Oh, what the HR manager did was she was going through receiving the credit card statements. Um, because she was also helping with so many accounting functions and wear multiple hats Uh would alter the document to cover up her fraud because she was using a company gift card or a company credit card to go and purchase gift cards to the tune of $750,000 in gift cards. But the other thing that was what she was doing is the, the long-term care facility thought that she had closed down a Walmart credit card back in 2011. So they only thought they had the one credit card. She never closed that down so that she was using that card as well. So, that between the two credit cards is what made up the total for a $750,000 fraud case. That got prosecuted federally. She also, I believe, had the IRS, because we got the IRS uh, tax investigator in, involved in that as well.
0: Well, that, that's what they always end up getting people on, like, is ultimately the tax fraud, like, it's the old Al Capone rule. And
1: and well, they had her frequently on the wire fraud. You know, it's interesting with the tax piece, it's kind of hit or miss. You know, it it really has to be a significant amount. Clearly, she wasn't reporting $750,000 in income. So that was something that was definitely on our radar. Um, But the other thing that was really of interest that I want to kind of share with folks is this employee and the CEO of the long term care facility would go on vacations together their best friends oh man you know that ceo had to take a step back and luckily she didn't recognize when she heard about the statements being different and a possible fraud um but that doesn't happen a lot of times normally we'll see people try to cover up someone's actions
0: oh really huh well i was talking last night um in another interview to christine parma who was a a victim of uh Uh, She was a financial advisor and and got sucked into a Ponzi scheme and sold it to some of her uh, clients as well as invested in it herself. And she was talking about the emotional toll that that goes on uh, with guilt and uh, shame and all sorts of things around uh, being victimized like that. And so I'm sure, like, did you get to talk to the manager? Like, was that I on?
1: did. Yeah. You know, and I, again, I spent a lot of time just having those conversations. You know, I always say 20% of my job is also playing psychologist yeah. with clients to try to help them to, you know, to be empathetic about the fact that this is an emotional situation for them because they had a close tie with someone. And it's that whole betrayal of trust. And so people, you know, so I try to be empathetic and, and talk through clients, you know, to talk through those scenarios with clients to make sure that, you know, they don't feel like it's their fault. Cause that's the first thing they want to do is take the blame, mm-hmm. something wrong, or I missed something. So, and sometimes people are just that clever that, you know, even people that are trained to catch this stuff may not catch it right away. So.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. You said, you gave me one more case here. Um, million embezzlement case by a VP of operations with a gambling issue. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, nothing overly sexy here with this particular case, but, you know, it's one of the things that I wanted to articulate with this, just for those that are listening, is the method and how the employee went about committing, um, in this case, check fraud and payroll fraud. Okay. You know, check fraud, payroll fraud, expense fraud, um, billing fraud are some of the top four things we see in small business mm-hmm. types of employee fraud schemes. So she was writing checks out to herself um, to the tune of $950,000 oh. over a five-year period.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And um, how she wrote those out, first off, she had access to the check stock, which is very, you know, a lot of companies don't lock up the check stocks. So always say lock up your checks, you mm-hmm. know audit the serial numbers and it checks to make sure somebody doesn't pull something out from the middle of the pile. If oh. to... So this employee though, knew the owner had a rubber stamp a signature stamp. So she just went and had the signature stamp, kept it in her desk because they also had one in, in the owner's desk. And so she was a stamping checks all day long. So for five years, $950,000. So I always tell business owners, it, get away with the signature stamp. Don't use it. If you have it, lock it up, it needs to be controlled, but ideally you need to sign. Um, the rest of the fraud came in payroll fraud where she decided to give herself a nice, nice hefty bonus. I think it was a little over $250,000 uh, in bonuses that she gave herself in payroll. Um, but what happened was she actually went, uh, went to the owner and said, hey, you know, the owner said, we've got an audit coming in. She thought the audit was going to identify the fraud a lot of times, financial statement audits don't necessarily identify the fraud, but she didn't know that, so she just heard audit. So the next day, she comes into the owner's office, and this company's got about 50 employees, so it's a small firm.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Said, hey, I've, I've been, just wanted to let you know, I've been stealing from you. And that's not common for somebody to actually, no. come, right? I've
0: never heard that, I've never heard it. Okay, keep, what else did she do after that? S-
1: so she, you know, of course, they asked how much. She said, oh, it was maybe only $30,000. You know, I just got in a bad financial bind. I'll pay you back. Okay, so they agreed to let her pay her back. Well, they started looking at a few things, and then their banker actually is who uh, suggested that they bring me in to do the investigation, and we were able to uncover all the different fraud that she actually committed. So 30000 compared to $1.2 big delta difference, right? She ended up, we found out she had a gambling issue, so she literally gambled every penny away. Oh. Well, she, oh. the day before she came in to tell about her fraud to the owner, her house that her and her husband owned was quickly deeded out of her name and just into his name. Oh. Then she got terminated, obviously, went to another employer and then started paying my client $500 a week in restitution. Uh-huh. Now, You go to work for another small business firm that's a paint company, okay, small business, small shop, I'm not sure how you're getting $2,000 enough to pay, you know, each month to pay restitution, let alone to live off of. So that's an example. She literally left my client, went to another employer, started stealing from them to pay restitution. So I actually worked with the Secret Service agent on that one. And um, she, uh, I was kept asking her, I said, you know, any way you can kind of go and pick her up at the New employers' office so that they realize because unfortunately ethically I can't call that client that other employer or small business owner say hey you've got an employee that may be stealing from you uh-huh. so um, so anyway so yeah it, it was an interesting case I guess
0: wow, it just snowballs but uh, you know I hear that people run their patterns where wherever they go yeah. and uh, in an upcoming interview I uh, I talked to Susan Frew who, who um, she has a HVAC and plumbing company she hired someone and the uh the the background check was clean but then she ended up it was seven hundred thousand dollars and she went back to her lawyer once they're figuring it out and they ran a more detailed background check and she had four pages worth of things that she was never found guilty for financial fraud in small business so like once people figure out how to do it one place they're gonna go to the
1: next place. And and that's exactly why, you know, I try to, I I tell, tell business owners, you know, the background check itself, because, you know, I do background checks for clients. Matter of fact, I've I've got a couple that came in right before our, our interview, but they only tell you what's on paper. They don't give you the full story. That's why I think it's so important to be able to do these integrity interviews, you know, and find out what, ask the right questions and know when to drill down it, to peel back that layer of the onion, to really get people to tell you what is really going on so that you can make a better, well-informed decision. I can't tell you how many people, you know, we've cut out of an interview process because of that interview. Um, I interviewed four people for this one client last week who did have some fraud about a year ago. And, um, out of the four people that we interviewed, there were only two that came back as a as a recommend because we we're able to kind of uncover some things that just probably were integrity related issues that they don't want to take a risk on.
0: Mm-hmm. So where's where's your line when you're interviewing people on on integrity? Like, let's say someone stole something or had a drug problem like years and years and years ago, would you call that a not recommend now or or how would where's your line? Are you looking for someone who's completely squeaky clean? What's
1: the analysis? Well, you know, and that's a great question. So a lot of it, it depends. You know, if I've got somebody that's 50 years old, for example, and when they were 18 or 19, that they made some poor choices, did some stupid stuff, maybe committed some theft or fraud, you know, uh, back then it was probably just more petty theft, took something from an employer, and they freely admit it when asked. They don't try to cover it up. They talk about, you know, I can't believe how young and dumb I was, and, so, and they talk about the emotional side of it. I have to make a judgment call based on everything that I'm hearing, seeing with that person, if they're being truthful to me, if they're being remorseful, did they learn from this lesson? It was 30 years ago. So, do you hold that account? Yeah, I mean, hell, we've all made mistakes at some point. Yeah, we point.
0: all go do, do dumb stuff. Like, when we were you? Right?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think you have to look at each individual circumstance and each individual person. You know, I talked to somebody last week, one of the guys that I said I listed as a qualified recommend. It wasn't necessarily that he came out and was forthright with any integrity related issues, but you could tell there was some sketchy behavior that he's, he's in, been involved with. Uh-huh. And he had all the right answers you know, every time you ask a question. So you got to look at the different scenarios and, and, and the different cues that people give you.
0: Oh, wow.
1: At the end of the day, a lot of it comes back down to, you know, trusting your intuition and and your training and knowledge and your gut. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, well, what's the one last tip you can give our listeners uh,
0: so that they're not a victim of fraud or they're protecting themselves a little bit more, anything if you could leave people with a nugget, what would it be?
1: You know, and if I could get people to just do this, I'd be really happy. I always tell business owners, take 15 minutes of your week, just 15 minutes. Go look at your bank statements and your check images. If you don't get your check images, get them on your statements. Yeah. Pay them mm-hmm. dollars right? Go look at your expenses. Go look at your payroll ledger. And if you only did that one of those areas each week and then rotate it, but 15 minutes, just go spot check. That perception of control that somebody's looking, and then go ask a question about this to the people that are, you know, in charge of your payroll, in charge of your your expenses. Because if they think you're looking, it's going to reduce the opportunity for them to actually commit the fraud. It doesn't cost anything. And this is where I, you know, I preach this all day long when I'm I do presentations, is, you know, hey, that 15 minutes is going to pay dividends tenfold down the road. So I would say that and I also give one other if I can kind of get this in because I think it's Important is make sure every small business owner that has employees should have some type of insurance coverage that covers employee fraud.
0: Oh, really? Okay, I've never heard anyone say that.
1: Um, Is it expensive? Tell me about that. Tell us about that. I'm not an insurance person, so I always tell people call your agent. But you know, on average, when I people that some of my insurance friends that I do know um, uh, that I'll get involved or that they might come help a business owner to to write a policy for because it's a separate policy than what their business policy would give them. So it literally is a separate writer. And, you know, it might, depending on the size of the company and the amount that they're trying to, um, insure for could be anywhere from maybe a thousand dollars to several thousand dollars. But when you the average fraud losses, you know, um, and they say that's ACFE says it's 154,000. The new study just came out. I think it might be around, might've gone up or up a little bit from that. Mm -hmm. But um, I wish most of my cases were 154,000. You know, the average fraud loss that I've worked in in cases is over half a million. So I always tell people, look at, you know, what your potential risk and exposure is, what your revenue size is, take 5% of that and consider that for your insurable limit for your insurance policy, but have one. Oh, that's a good and tip, that's a good
0: tip. Wait, you
1: are filled with good
0: tips, I gotta, I gotta say. So how, cause you, you speak at conferences and you also are in doing investigations. Uh, what kind of groups do you normally speak to?
1: You know, I like to do a lot of, uh, uh, I was doing a, a ton of medical association groups. Um, like in the MGMA? health sector. I'm sorry? Like MGMA or? Um, MGMA, yeah, actually. Um, I've done quite a few of their conferences uh, over the years. I've gotten asked to come in and do just different association type conferences um, or just business groups. You know, uh, we have a a big group here in St. Louis, EO, Entrepreneurs. Yeah. So, you know, I'll come in and just do presentations for folks. A lot of my bank uh, banker friends will have me come in and speak to their clients. Um, I'm a big believer in education. The more I can get out and educate folks to prevent this then you know we all win. So. Oh, good.
0: So, how can people get a hold of you either to come speak to their group or maybe they have an investigation they need your expertise? Tell everybody your contact
1: info. Sure. Um, my website is www. Um, they can reach me via email at j. james at S T L dot com. Um, and uh, you know or they can call me at 636-346-9273 is my cell phone. It goes, you know, I have that on me all the time. And I always tell people, I don't charge for phone calls generally. So I'd much rather take a few minutes and help somebody to mitigate something and not need me. And I'm you know, surprised at how many people take me up, do not take me up on the fact that you just call me in advance when you suspect something so I can help you to walk through it before it becomes an issue.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so good. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. For coming on Fraud Busting. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.